This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. This is with the Simple Passive Cashflow Podcast. If you haven't done so yet, please go to the website and sign up for the Hui Deal Pipeline Club. And also tell a friend about it. As we've talked in the past, the warm call from a fellow investor is worth more than all the advertising in the world. Please shoot an email to a friend or just mention it on a phone call or a text message. Today on the line, we got Mark Allen from Texas. How's it going, Mark? Lane, going well. Thanks for having me. So Mark's a broker. We wanted to get into the heads of brokers because, you know, we talk about you guys a lot. Thought you'd be an excellent guy to get in the perspective on, you know, what's the best way of us investors to work with brokers to get the best deals. Tell us a little bit about your background. How'd you get into uh, being a broker? Yeah, sure. So I started in 2009. I was in college and uh, my, uh, I went to the West, I went to West Point, the U.S. Military Academy. And they provided a $35,000 loan at half a percent interest. And my family was in real estate. Um, my, my father was a developer in central Florida, grew up in Orlando. He did some custom homes and uh, small neighborhoods. And his parents were real estate brokers and agents in uh, our hometown. I, I received that $35,000 loan. My dad said, you're going to put this into real estate because it was 2009. It was the perfect time. And uh, that's exactly what I did. So he helped me find a deal in uh, Melbourne, Florida. We were looking through uh, kind of Kissimmee, Orlando, um, or, you know, around where Disney is. And uh, um, he was linked with an acquisition company at the time that was buying distressed assets all over the country. They came across this condo and I, I purchased it for $20,000. It was a two bed, two bath. Um, when the market was cruising in 2006, they were selling um, between $115,000 and $120,000. Um, and that started my, my real estate journey. So I put about $5,000 into that property and uh, rented it out. And I still own that same property today. So how did you find your way through Texas? After you go to any of the military academies, you have to pay back your education by serving the country. So I was first stationed in Fort Hood, Texas, which uh, is in Colleen, about an hour north of Austin, Texas. And uh, whenever I was in the military, I actually was still active in real estate and I was like, okay, this cash flow thing is pretty cool. Um, so I read books and learned a little more about, I didn't have much money at the time. So I was learning about acquiring properties with little to no money, learned about the subject to the existing mortgage strategy, kind of assuming a loan, so to speak. And uh, this was 2000, let's see, 2012 and 13 um, into 2011 as well. So, you know, I started marketing for, you know, owners in distressed situations um, and in uh, distressed properties as well. And picking up a couple of properties and kind of uh, assuming the mortgages and either I quickly fixed it up and sold it or I rented it out. So I built up a portfolio um, in the Georgetown, Round Rock, Austin area, which is Georgetown, Round Rock or suburbs of Austin. And just a small portfolio there and, you know, bought it a good time and Whenever I exited the military and transitioned out into the civilian world, I moved to Dallas. Early 2015 and 16, I sold all those properties and used the equity to flip homes here in Dallas. So um, through 2015-16, I was flipping homes. And uh, I, at that time, it was really, I, I was selling software. That was, my, that was my real job. That was my nine to five. Um, and I was flipping homes. I was like, man, I really don't have a life. 
So I started looking into becoming a little more passive and that led me to multifamily about two years ago. So I started networking with some of the local folks, uh, local investors here in Dallas, Fort Worth. Um, there's some, there's some uh, strong mentor groups and some, uh, some strong uh, private investors and syndicators here in Dallas and uh, learning from those guys. And, and I said uh, in 2000, I think it was into 2015, I said, I might as well get my license, you know, cause I'm flipping homes. I can save a little money there, but also um, set the goal to become a, a uh, multifamily broker and uh, broker commercial multifamily or apartment communities here in, here in uh, Texas. So uh, as of this year, I transitioned into uh, the world of commercial real estate and uh, that's where I'm at now. Did you weigh the, uh, how much I'm making at the software selling gig and what I could make in brokering multifamilies that come in and play just dollars or you just, do you just like it better? <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, at the time, I would say that there was there was maybe a little money might have been a little bit of a motivation, um, although it's, you know, higher risk, higher reward. I didn't have the guaranteed salary. So I saved the money from the flips and um, and also from some of the sales that I was making um, from the software side um, to, to put away and basically live off of um, because I knew it was going to be it, it was more of a marathon rather than a sprint. And, uh, you know, it's, it's going to take time to build up that business. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, coming in, I was networking with some multifamily brokers, some, some brokers that were at, uh, ARA, Marcus and Millichap and where I'm at now with, uh, SVN. And, um, I just thought those brokerages fit my culture best as far as, you know, a little more laid back rather than going with a big CBRE where you're in a suit and tie every day, um, and working with more corporate clients. Um, so I, you know, I, I talked with some of those brokers and of course it's a seller's market right now. And, and, uh, some of those brokers are doing really well and make, uh, make quite a bit of money. So there were a couple of different factors. I, I don't want to say it was all money driven. I'm really enjoying what I do now. And it's, it's fun uh, because I love investment real estate so much. So it's, it's fun getting to work with some very, whether it be high net, high net worth or uh, syndicators, but it's, it's cool to learn everyone's story where they started and, uh, and how they got to where they are today. So I know a lot of investors like myself, they do a little bit of you know, just regular single family home agent services. Can someone do that for multifamily? Moonlighting on the side of a day job. The license is standard. I, I have the same license as uh, a residential real estate agent. I could support my income right now by selling single family homes. Does the business require, you know, doing multifamily? Does it require, you know, full-time job? Cause it seems like the single uh, family world, you can do it on the, on the weekends or as a side gig. Well, I would say at least right now, you know, I work a lot of Saturdays too, but it's more Saturday mornings. I might be driving apartment communities, trying to provide data to investors um, and especially out-of-state investors that aren't here too often. I mean, there's, there's a lot of work that goes on on the weekends. It, it's one of those things where you want to have, you don't want to spread, spread yourself too thin. I'd like to have laser focus on uh, commercial multifamily. We also do single-family portfolios. It's, it's a very niche space, and uh, we, do, we broker single-family portfolios around the country. We've been doing that since 2009. The majority of my focus is in commercial multifamily and uh, single-family uh, portfolios, and it's just I guess it, it comes down to an ROI perspective. It's like, how do I want to spend my time and what has, what has the greatest uh, return on investment 
on my time. And, and it's, uh, it's going to be commercial real estate, not residential real estate. You know, there, there are some residential real estate agents that are, that uh, do very well um, and are very good at what they do, but that's, that's their sole focus. So I, I just try to have that laser focus on uh, commercial multifamily and single family portfolios. So one of the big differences between multifamily and single family brokers is that the you, you multifamily brokers are really pounding the pavement and finding deals and sellers. What are some ways that you personally doing that, that you take a liking to? I mean, it's just like any other sales position for any of your listeners out there that might be in a, in a sales role. It's all about providing value to clients and whether it be buyers or sellers, you're trying to provide value because if, if I'm providing value to a seller and that may be, uh, here are some ways that I might provide value. Uh, like I mentioned about the out-of-state owners, I may drive their property, take pictures. If I see something that may be out of the ordinary that, that maybe the management company isn't picking up, I may take some pictures and provide some feedback. Um, I provide uh, owners with uh, what's going on around their apartment as far as transaction activity, uh, any new, you know, maybe a new, a new company is moving in, uh, in a two mile radius and, and, uh, it's going to be bring jobs to the area. That may be a significant event that could impact their property value could be rising interest rates, you know, something happened and, and, uh, with the treasury and interest rates spiked, you know, 50 to hundred basis points. Um, and at that point I would update the owner. So it's just continually trying to provide value, but at the same time, you know, also trying to be personable and, and build relationships because um, whether you're a passive or active investor or broker, real estate is all about relationships. And we get more into that later. Yeah. So how are you guys finding the initial leads? Is there like a list or a database? That's the big thing that's different. In commercial multifamily, there are, or I'm just going to say in commercial real estate, there are softwares and uh, services and sources out there because there are a limited number of properties. So they can gather all the data as far as we use Yardi Matrix. Um, there's CoStar out there um, and a couple of other different services or softwares. Um, but we use Yardi Matrix and it provides owner data, including contact information, uh, mailing address and phone number. It also provides uh, information about the property. If it's an apartment, is it uh, individually metered? Uh, does it have a pool? What are the amenities? Provides occupancy and rent data. What's its current occupancy? Where are the rents? Um, so it's a, it's a pretty detailed source and it has uh, many different tools that can basically extract data so I can provide that data to, to owners. You know, a residential agent doesn't have as much access to information because there are, I mean, you think about the number of apartments, although DFW, Dallas-Fort Worth has quite a few apartments compared to most other cities. The number of homes is just significantly greater. Uh, so the data is actually, you know, you're not dealing with companies that own, own the homes, you're dealing with um, people. And so res residential real estate agents will kind of do this, you know, something similar Well, they'll pull uh, mailing addresses uh, for marketing. They'll do a lot of direct mail campaigns. Uh, some will go door knocking. Um, some, there are sources out there to get phone numbers as well. And, and some do cold calling. So I guess there are a lot of carryover similarities between that. It's just uh, the number of properties available in commercial real estate are obviously significantly less than uh, residential real estate. And that's getting a list as an investor is something that I'm thinking about getting. You know, if I can get a list of from 1970 to 1990 property from 60 to 160 units that doesn't have mm -hmm. these properties individually metered, you could have somebody calling or emailing them. But I, I just 
you know, like like you mentioned earlier, like the return on investment for me is not there, and that's kind of why you guys are so important. What's your thoughts on you know when you do contact these guys? You know, what's the best channel of communication? Is it email, phone call, direct mail? Because a lot of the sellers, it's an LLC or a individual owner or maybe even institutional. Yeah. It's definitely going to be a mix, and everyone, you know, may react different. It, it's it's hard to catch people on the phone, but face to face is obviously always best. If you can, like, there are times when I I know where a certain owner's office is, and they may own 4,000 units here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area or whatever the case may be. I, if I know where their office is and I can't get them on the phone or, or maybe I send a piece of direct mail, sometimes I'll just do a drop-in. So face-to-face, obviously, because you have the relationship piece and they can put a face to a name is always best. Then I would say phone call because you're able to have a conversation and kind of drive that conversation. You know, it's definitely a mix. Any, any kind of touch point I can get, whether it's through social selling and, and a source like LinkedIn to direct mail to email, definitely want to continue touch points on a, uh, on a regular basis. So when you meet in person, are you buying the coffee? Oh, yeah. I, I just, it was, it's funny you mentioned that. So I met with a seller uh, yesterday for the first time, or two days ago, rather, um, and she was over 80 years old. She was a doctor and she has owned apartments here in the Dallas Fort Worth area for 25 years. And she is, uh, you know, probably constantly hounded by brokers and investors. And I've talked to her a few times on the phone. Well, I went to her house and, uh, you know, I, I debated whenever I went to her house because we had talked before and I was actually bringing her an offer. I debated on whether or not to bring flowers. I was like, you know, what can I bring an 84, 84 year old? Uh, female. So I, I brought flowers and hopefully it wasn't, wasn't too hokey, but uh, you know, I, I uh, thought that might, might open up the conversation was able to, to build some rapport with her. And it looks like potentially I'll be moving forward with uh, an acceptance of this offer that I brought her. So someone like that, how, how often would you, you know, make a touch point in a trend, either phone or, or a meeting? to not be uh, that creepy guy that keeps calling me all the time, <laughs> but, uh, you know, just yeah. be top of mind. Yeah. I, um, so again, I started in January and uh, she was one of the, I, I was focusing in the area that I live. I said, well, when I started, I live in Irving, Texas, which is right outside of Dallas Fort Worth airport. It's very central in the Metroplex. Um, and I said, well, since I live here and it's easy, you know, on weekends or if I'm driving home, I, you know, I want to, shop some apartments or, or look, um, you know, just, you know, I really know the area. Well, I started, uh, with her and I called her and she's, uh, she's older and she's always home. So she answers the phone. We had a conversation and I don't think I got her email address until the second or third call. It's once every two months or so. I, I don't want to call her just to call her. I want to call her because I have, I think I have something of value that, you know, she may think, um, may, might be interesting. So I'm going to say on a typical basis, it's, it's uh, once every two months or so. All right. And I think you brought up a good point there. Um, something that I've learned is if you're going to call somebody, always have a reason to do it. You know, always bring value like you mentioned earlier. When I first started making calls, the cold calls were actually quite easy. And every commercial real estate agent or broker, uh, it's kind of thrown around loosely. So residential, they call agents, agents. I'm, te- I'm technically an agent, but uh, you know we, we broker the transaction, so it's loosely thrown around in the commercial real estate world. Um, so they call you know all agents brokers. 
We talk a lot about syndications on this podcast, and most of the time, these offers are only for those with an accredited status per the rules of the SEC. Now sponsoring the Simple Passive Cashflow podcast is the American Homeowner Preservation Fund, a crowdfunding solution to the mortgage crisis in America, empowering investors to fund the purchase of distressed mortgages. The AHP fund aims to keep people in their homes by investing in notes. It's an opportunity to earn returns while feeling good about making positive social impact. You can start investing with as little $100. You can learn more at investinahp.com. And if you want the free Burn Zone book, please send me an email at lane at simplepassivecashflow.com. So maybe explain to us sure. the uh, the difference between, you've got brokers, but then you also got the big brokerage houses like ARA and Marcus Millichap. Uh, how does this all work? If an investor is looking for a broker to go out and find some deals, is it better to go to the, you know, work from the big brokerage houses and work down to the brokers or just start just going out to the brokers? So I would definitely go straight to the brokers. And I would, I, I don't, so if, as an investor and, and having an, you know, investment mind, um, I would definitely contact every broker. So we have, we have 10 brokers in our office and um, here at SVN in Dallas, Fort Worth. And we focus class B and C multifamily and single family portfolios. Well, there are some that do the majority of the multifamily deals and I would definitely contact them, but also I would contact the other brokers. And, and that goes, if you can find and seek out and get on everyone's radar in your market or whatever markets you're looking to. I think that's definitely key. Don't just reach out to top three or four brokers um, because everyone's doing deals. So it's best to reach out, get connected with all the brokers in your market or whatever market you're looking into. Um, but when it comes to relationships, it's definitely important to build relationships with uh, the top brokers in your market because they're holding the majority of the deal flow. So what's your thoughts on the uh, CCIM designation? Is that say that they're going to have the better deals or more experience? You know, brokers look at that as kind of like getting your master's in commercial real estate. So we have one CCIM. We have a pretty young team. Todd Franks, our managing director, has been around for for nearly 20 years brokering multifamily. Um, And he started this office here in SBN. I think it definitely helps set you apart. Again, I'm, I'm new into the industry, so it may be something I do when I have a little more time, like whenever it becomes a buyer's market and, and it becomes business becomes a little more slow. But right now I'm out just uh, attacking deals, but it's definitely something that I'll look into. Yeah, or you, do you think it just doesn't matter as a, you know investor's point of view that everybody's out looking for deals and maybe you want the young gun to be uh, who's hitting the phones and the pavement who doesn't have the CCA. Yeah, maybe they're better to help you find that deal. I mean, it's hard to put myself in an investor's mind, but you know, I'm sure it does definitely set you apart from, from other brokers without the CCIM designation. Um, and that have that, those courses on your belt. Talking to Todd Franks, my managing director, he's CCIM. He definitely says that uh, it was well worth his time. Um, he, he learned a whole lot and it's definitely helped him, um, in his business over the years. So, um, yeah, I would definitely say that, that uh, sets brokers apart. So if you can find a CCIM in your area, I'm sure that uh, they're well-respected. So as an investor, I get, you know, I I go through brokers, but I also have found a bunch of wholesalers. You know, these are the, hey guys, I got a deal, shooting out these deals from my email list. A lot of these guys are, they seem to be from New Jersey or New York or somewhere on the East Coast, like 
you know, way, way, way far away from if they're having deals in Texas or wherever. I, I think these guys are taking properties from other brokers and just playing matchmaker a little bit and adding another three or 4%, which is pretty absurd. Uh, what's your thought on these these guys and how they operate? I mean, my opinion is that if they worked hard and actually called sellers, they'd actually make more money than doing what they're doing. I've definitely seen a spike, and I don't know if that's, you know, as of recent, as I've grown my network in the commercial real estate space, um, but, you know, posts on LinkedIn, and I'm sure you see these as well from wholesalers and people asking, you know, who's a good property management company? And I, and I wonder if some of these people are actually investors or buyers or they're they're wholesalers, wholesalers, but you know, I do see a lot of that. I have an off market deal in you know, XYZ city. And, and um, I'll, I'll get their offering memorandum and they'll like, they'll put a little white square over the brokerage logo and they'll yeah, do that, that kind of stuff and mask certain things. That's interesting. So I, I really don't know too much about it on the commercial side, especially if you've seen deals from them. If, if they have an OM and, and they're masking things, and it makes you wonder if, if it was a deal that a broker couldn't sell or, or if it's still actively listed or, or what the case is. But I also have heard of some wholesalers, I guess, going direct to asset managers uh, and finding bank-owned properties or whatever the case may be. And, and so some are able to tie these these properties up from asset managers. I don't know if there are any you know, legitimate wholesalers out there that are doing deals or not, but, uh, that are, you know, making the posting on Facebook or LinkedIn. Um, but I know there, there's probably some investors and I know, I know local investors and owners here, um, that have found really good deals. And we were actually involved in a wholesale deal in Albuquerque, New Mexico at the end of last year. So a local investor, um, had a relationship with a big company out of California and they own property all over the country, uh, and they were selling a portfolio of Class C properties in Albuquerque, and he had these at a significant discount. Yeah, I think it was six properties in total. Uh, he was going to take down three of the properties, and he was going to wholesale or assign the properties to another investment group or investor. We have a longstanding relationship with him. Todd, my managing director, has put him in multiple deals here in uh, Dallas-Fort Worth. So he solicited us because we have access to you know every owner across the country to help find buyers for uh, these Albuquerque assets. So we helped him, and I guess in split some of that fee. Not really sure exactly how that worked. That was that was um, end of last year. So I think there are some investors, you know, that are legitimate and, and not just considered wholesalers, but own properties that may find really good deals. And, you know, maybe it's a portfolio just like this, this deal, and they don't have the equity or uh, the capital to take down the entire thing. So they'll take down what they can and, and wholesale the others. One of the biggest ways that, you know, we're told to go and find brokers is, you know, go to LoopNet, which, you know, is, is known as the graveyard for deals, but it's a good way to you know, find out who are the active brokers out there. What are other ways that you think that are, I mean, is there a list out there with everybody with a broker's license that's doing multifamily or commercial? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, from a high level, every, you know, the, the primary brokerages, at least here in Dallas, Fort Worth, and this stands, this stands across the country in major markets. You'll have Sperry Van Ness, which is who I'm with. We have over 220 offices. Marcus and Millichap, ARA, um, Colliers is another one. Those are those are big uh, in the Class B and C space. 
Um, and then, and then you have some of the, the larger brokerages like JLL and CBRE. So I, I would definitely start by going to the well-known brokerages, just a Google search of, you know, if you're looking in Dallas, Fort Worth, for example, just Dallas, um, CBRE multifamily or Dallas SBN multifamily. And you'll get, you'll go to, I mean, most of these brokerages have their own uh, local website and you can go and, and find out who the brokers are. Um, under each brokerage, and uh, uh, you can typically pull, you know, you may have to sign a confidentiality agreement, but you can find out what deals they have available. You can sign a CA and get the offering memorandum and see who's on the offering mem memorandum packet. Usually, you know, most brokerage houses are, you know, three or four brokers deep. We have, we have a big team. We have 10, but they'll put each broker on the offering memorandum, and you can just call each broker and introduce yourself. I think that's a good way. LoopNet, we use LoopNet, but only in, you know, secondary markets. Like, uh, I know we talked about Colleen in the past. So, um, I guess, I guess a lot of brokers, uh, especially here, I mean, it's right now it's a seller's market, so it's easy to sell multifamily in a, in a city like Dallas, Fort Worth. So there's no need for LoopNet. If you post something on LoopNet, you're going to get hounded by, um, yeah, other real estate agents and brokers and um, maybe wholesalers. Um, so it may not be as, as legitimate. I, I would, you know, I, I hear that from time to time that Crexy or LoopNet, uh, Crexy is another uh, similar source that's uh, been growing in popularity um, if you don't know about it. But, uh, you know, there, there, I think there are deals depending on the market um, out there. So I, I don't know if it's a graveyard for deals. I don't think we would put anything uh, in Dallas, Fort Worth on there, but, um, just another avenue to find deals. So, you know, back to your question, I, I think the best way is to go, uh, through Google and just go to, to the top brokerages that everyone knows about and search that way. Quick discussion on, you know, relationships and being prepared. What's a good way of, you know, you, you find that, you know, taking some of the best things that you've talked to investors or some of the best practices. Sure. We're contacted by investors that are syndicators, you know, they they have different equity sources. So it helps if you, if you contact a broker and you have a, like a pitch deck or a business plan that you can show them to show that you're prepared and uh, the pitch deck or business plan may have, you know, just who you are, your background, uh, your team is very important. And, and it could be, you know, like your attorney, it could be your equity sources, um, your preferred, you know, third-party property management company, um, so on and so forth. So um, if I know you're connected with some people in the market that, uh, you know, I hold at a, at a high level of uh, respect, then that helps. I'm like, okay, this guy's, this guy or, or girl's uh, prepared. Equity, as a syndicator, you know, having your equity lined up, and saying, you know, I'm even if you're, I know you're part of uh, a mentor group here locally. You know, if I know that you're in that group, then I know you'll have no problem uh, raising equity. But in the same sense, we're hit up by different investors that maybe they sold a tech-based company and have, you know, $15 million to play with, and they say, I want to invest in multifamily. That's a good story, you know. So if if you have the money and you can show it, uh, or if you have the equity lined up and can show it, that definitely helps take you a long way relationships uh, is just a matter of just following up with brokers yeah and you know just like for me as a broker and and talking to sellers i don't want to i don't want to call them too much and just call them to call them start to annoy them but uh, as an investor you could probably do the same thing there are investors that call all the brokers hey what do you got what do you got and they call them every two three weeks and 
at that point you've just annoyed the broker and it, he never picks up your calls. He probably screens your calls. So, you know, if you, if you have something of interest, definitely, I think it's important if you're out doing, if you do your first deal, you do your second or third deal, whatever the case may be, that's a great story. You know, definitely call brokers or agents in your area, you know, let them know of the story that you just closed, you know, X amount of units or, or uh, whether it be a single family property, doesn't matter. Um, that's a good story. So I think having the experience definitely goes a long way. As far as the relationship piece, yeah, definitely trying to set up meetings. I have a local investor coming in this afternoon and we're going we're gonna to break down a certain list of properties, build a target list. Local investors will offer to take me to lunch um, and we'll just talk strategy or talk real estate, get to know each other better. I think, you know, those kind of things definitely help over the long run and just being genuine, you know, not doing it just, I mean, obviously, you know, we you, both investor and broker want to do business together, but being genuine about it goes a long way. I want to mention three things that you touched upon, talked about having the long game when you first started out. I think, you know, I always refer back to that talent code book where people are much more successful when they have that long view. You talked about the laser focus in multifamily. I think a lot of people get you know, they get that shiny object syndrome with all this stuff in the real estate you can invest in and then providing value. And you certainly do that with your podcasts. First broker I seen with the podcast. Once you uh, send out to your, your links to uh, contact you and yeah, that podcast, if people want to check out, you get more multifamily based, but good information. Centered around multifamily. It's uh, just something because I try to do a blast with what deals we have going on and, and uh, just try to find something that's out of the ordinary, what, what brokers in, in my market aren't doing. So um, they're typically, you know, 12 to 15 minute interviews and are pretty, pretty quick, pretty short, but it's just how investors are achieving success in today's market. So happy to provide a, uh, a link and also hoping to have you on the podcast here pretty soon. All right. Well, thanks for everything, Mark. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Lana. Appreciate the time. This website offers very general information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor situation is unique. Always seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the value and condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and escrow companies and licensed tax, investment, and or legal advisor before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk. The content found here is just my opinion and things change and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself because in the end, you are the only person who is going to look out for your best interests.